Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Glad to be with you this morning. If you want to open up in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, we are going to continue in Genesis 1 this morning. We're going to bounce around a little bit, uh, but we'll start in, in Genesis 1. And if you were with us last week, you'll remember um, the last two weeks, we've really been talking about what it means to be human and what it, be ma- what it means to be made in the image of God and what it means that God placed Adam and Eve on planet Earth, on his creation, and um, he made them uh, to rule and reign, to govern God's good creation. And we're going to continue on in the same vein of that this morning. And we're going to talk about work. Uh, because when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them work to do. And we're going to read about that. Uh, and we're going to talk about our work. Why do we work? Why do we spend so much time working? Uh, how do, should we think about nine to five jobs? Uh, what, what should we think about vocation and calling? Uh, is work a blessing or is work a curse? Is it this necessary evil that we have to get through? And some of you are thinking, Matt, it's the weekend. I really don't want to talk about or think about work, <laughs> which is probably why we should talk about it. And to get there, I, I want to introduce us to some stats because whether you like it or not, work is central to our lives. So a couple things to begin with. The average American, on a normal day, spends about nine hours at their job. That's a normal day. What that means is over the course of a lifetime, you spend about 90,000 hours at the job or at a job, which translates to 10 years. And this is based on 40 years of working. So a quarter of your life from age 18 to wherever you graduate over the course of that 40 years Spend a quarter of your life at your job. Now, the other thing that's interesting is how much time we spend getting to and from those jobs. The average American spends 100 hours commuting every year. So in a 40-year career, that's 166 days of sitting in your car. It's a lot of time. And that's just job hours. And for those of you who are are parents 24-7, you're thinking, wow, nine hours kind of sounds nice. Like, try 24 hours a day. And for me, like most of you, nine hours then translates to I, I come home and then there's other requirements and responsibilities that everyone has to do. You know, you got you to gotta blow out the sprinklers. You have to mow the lawn. You have to fix the fence. You have to vacuum whatever needs to be vacuumed because always stuff has to be vacuumed. You have to fold the laundry. You have to do the dishes. There's always more work to be done. And so when you stop to think about it, we actually spent a lot of our lives working. So much of our lives is spent working. So why do we work and how should we think about work? Like I said, is it a necessary evil? Is it a blessing? Is it a curse? What about vocation? What about calling? These are good questions. And so we're going to pick up in Genesis 1 verse 26 because in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we begin to get the answers to these questions. So Genesis 1, 26, if you're new to the Bible, the first couple verses of the Bible, I'll summarize it for you. God makes everything and then he decides to make humanity. I should write a book about that. It's a summary. 
So verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What, what we see in these verses are statements about our identity as humans, who we are. We're image bearers of the creator God. And, and we're made to do something. We're blessed to be fruitful and increase in number, to fill the earth and subdue it, to rule and reign. And the imagery that we get here in Genesis 1 is really twofold. One, we spent the last two weeks talking about this. It's the idea that humans made in the image of the creator God, who's like the king of the universe, we're made kind of as royalty to represent him on planet earth. So we are the king God's image bearers on planet earth as representatives made to rule and reign to govern his good creation. But the other part of it, is that God places humanity in the midst of this rugged, wild, raw creation. He tells them to fill it and subdue it. If you need to subdue it, the implication is that it's wild. The idea is that it's, it's wild and it's like untamed. And part of the mission of these image bearers is to take this raw, rugged wilderness and to turn it into something. If we, if we were to dive deeper into this, what we would see is that the idea is that God created something and then he makes humanity to continue on the creative work that he already started. That's actually the picture that we get in Genesis 2. So if you still have your Bible open, flip to Genesis 2. We're going to get to verse 15. And in the meantime, what happens is there's the description of the Garden of Eden. It's, there's the description of the rivers. There's the Tigris. There's the Euphrates. And then we get to this in 2.15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. These are important words, to work it and take care of it. So God creates Adam and Eve and he gives them a task. Fill the earth, let's make babies, and subdue it, rule, govern, care for, represent the God who is the king of the universe. And then in, in Genesis 2.15, we get more specific directions. Work the garden and take care of it. So get this. God creates Adam and Eve, and then he gives them these tasks. He gives them work to do. And the word work in Genesis 2.15 is the word abodah. And the word for keep is shamar. And these are important words. Adam and Eve are meant to do the same sorts of things that God did. So God works and makes the garden. And then he makes humanity, and they're tasked with working and keeping the garden. These words Abadah and Shamar are interesting because the word Abadah, which means work, other places is translated as worship or obey or serve. The idea is that what they're doing is a response to who God has made them to be. They're being obedient to what God has made them to do. And the word Shamar is interesting because it's the same word that gets used for what the priests do in the temple. So the priests are made, meant to keep, to Shamar, the temple. And so the imagery that if you're reading through your Old Testament, 
is you get, well, the same sorts of things that Adam and Eve did in the garden, that's what the priests do in the temple. It's not as if Adam's job was a gardener and he was just paying the bills for him and Eve. It was something much more than that, something much more fundamental to who they were. They were made to be servants, to be keepers, to be cultivators of the garden. Humans weren't made to be lazy. Humans were not made to sit on the banks of the Tigris River drinking pina coladas, waiting for God to walk by with snacks in the afternoon. Now, that sounds nice to many of us, but that's not what we were made for. That's not what Adam and Eve were made for. Yes, there's rhythms of work and rest and leisure, absolutely. And we'll talk more about that. But even before sin entered the world in Genesis 3, this is important, even before sin enters the world, there is work. And you could even say that God called them to this work. I mean, just put yourself in this situation. If God drops you off somewhere and says, this is what I have made you for, you wouldn't be like, doesn't matter. No, we would take it to mean that God actually has something for us, that it's something that we're made for, that's something that's deeply, deeply spiritual. It's like worship. It's a reflection of my obedience and service to God. So here's the problem, though. Many of us don't view work as something fundamental to who we are. Many of us think, well, God really wants us to be sipping pina coladas on the, on the banks of the Tigris River. That's the way a lot of us view work. Now, I want to be careful because when I say work is fundamental to who we are, what I don't mean is that your job is your identity. If you're anything like me, what happens when you meet a new person? You say, hey, I'm Matt. Nice to meet you. What's the very next question? What do you do for work? In previous eras or in other cultures, you don't introduce yourself by your job title. You introduce yourself by where you're from, maybe your family relationships. But here and now, that's the essential thing of who we are. My name is Matt. I'm the assistant director of blah, 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 blah. And that's what matters in our conversations. And it's like a badge of pride for some of us. And some of us completely find our identity in our jobs. Some of us, I'd go out on a limb and say some of us worship our work. Uh, what I mean by that is that some of us will sacrifice darn near anything for it. We'll sacrifice our family, we'll sacrifice our friends, we'll sacrifice our time working 50, 60, 70 hours a week so that we can get the paycheck or so that we can finally get approval from our boss or so that we can finally have the corner office and the title so that when I introduce myself to people then, then I will have arrived. Some of us approach work in that way. And that's not what I mean, because that's not what we were made for. But equally, we were not made for the other end of the spectrum, which I find much more common amongst my peers, those of us under the age of 30. And, and that's the mindset. The other end of the spectrum is the mindset that work is kind of like this necessary evil. Uh, the dream is to really work and have a good enough job so that by age 55, I have fire. Financially independent retirement early. It's, it's a thing. I, had, I like found it. There, it. There's like all this literature about fire. Here's how you can become financially independent to retire early. And, and, and really the mindset behind that, and I thought like this for a long time, really the dream was get to 55, retire, and then you can do the things you really like doing hunting, fishing, golfing, spending time with your grandkids. Maybe then you can sip the pina coladas on the beach. Maybe you can travel. Many of us 
us millennials, we think about and approach our work as something that just gets us from point A to point B in things that really matter. Our family, our education, maybe traveling, these experiences, maybe our hobbies, and it's this necessary evil that we kind of deal with. But what I want to ask this morning is what if God has something much more meaningful for how we spend 40 to 50 hours a week, how we spend 90,000 hours of our time, how we spend 10 years of our lives? What if it's something more than just wasting time until we can get to the age of retirement or get to the next vacation? Now, again, what I, what I said about the whole rest and work cycles is important. And in a couple of weeks or next week, we're going to talk about the Sabbath. And for those of you who know me, this is kind of funny because you'll look at me and go, that guy does not practice what he preaches. That guy has terrible work-life balance. And I will take that and say, you are probably correct. Point taken, and I'm a work in progress. And so I'm going to sit under Decent's teaching on Sabbath. <laughs> but work is something that God made us for. It's, some, it's a spiritual act. And if God really did make humanity to work, if that's really a fundamental part of who we are, then we should think about how we work. If we can agree that the reason why we work is because God made us for it, then how should we work? We're going to talk about more stats because a report came out just this week from Barna Research Group. And they asked some really interesting questions to around 1,500 followers of Jesus. And when I put it on the screen, it's going to be way too small for you to see, so I'm going to explain it. But essentially what they asked was, what are the responsibilities of Christians in the workplace? What are the things that are important for you to do at work? I feel like a magician there. Uh, okay, so I, can anyone read it? No. So the top one, the category is act ethically. And so they asked people in this survey, okay, Christians, how many of you think that acting ethically in your workplace is important? 82% of people said yes, which on the surface seems good, right? But then you think about the implication. That means 18% said it's not important to act ethically. And that's the one with the most agreement. If you look down a little bit, uh, there's one that says practice humility. That one got 63% agreement. The implication of that is that 37% of people said it's not important to be humble at your workplace. If you skip down more, it gets more frustrating. Serve others, speak out against unfairness or injustice, help bring grace and peace to others, all hover right around 50%. Now, I glance at the chart, I glance at the chart the first time, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And I think about it more, and I get frustrated. Because where is this disconnect that we have between following after Jesus, who is the servant of all, who is the one who models humility for us, the, the one who works for justice in all of its forms, as the one who is full of grace and peace, where is the disconnect between us as followers after him and what we think our responsibilities are from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday? There seems to be some sort of huge disconnect. Or this one gets me too. Uh, do excellent work to glorify God. Only 58% of people agreed, said yes. That's a 42% no. So think about it. If God made us to work, and shouldn't we probably think about work a little bit differently? 
So let's get it straight. Let's read Colossians 3. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to Colossians 3 with me. And as you're flipping there, you will go, ah, I can't find Colossians. So here's a little tip that I learned in college that has helped me remember only the order of four books of the Bible. General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's going to help, help you. If you can get in that general region of your New Testament, you can find Colossians. Okay, Colossians 3. And just a bit of context, I'll read verse 1. He says, Since then, this is Paul writing to the church in Colossae. He says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This is a pivot point in Paul's letter. And he does this often in his letters. He says, this is who you are. Now here's what you should do in response. So if you skip down to verse 15, this is where I really want to start. And this is the continuation of his argument. This is what you should do in light of who Christ has made you to be. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So let me ask some rhetorical questions. How much does whatever you do encompass? Like some things or most things? Or anything. So, so should whatever we do, should that encompass what we do as parents? Yes. Should whatever we do include our time at our jobs? Yes. Paul says whatever you do, whether that's going to church, whether that's mowing your lawn, whether that's folding the laundry, whether that's pulling espresso shots, whether that's developing accounting reports or making lesson plans, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to the Father through him. Well, now imagine yourself in Colossae in the first century and you're hearing this letter and imagine you're you're a slave in the first century. And you're thinking, well, what about me, Paul? What do I do? What does this mean for me? If you skip down to verse 22, he speaks directly to that. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, we don't have time today to talk about the natural question that comes up when we read a passage like that, which is, well, why is Paul writing to slaves? And why is slavery not just outlawed in the New Testament? And and what was it like to be a slave? And is what we think of as Americans, is that the same thing as what these slaves were? Good questions. And we're actually going to talk about them in one of the upcoming, we have this Q&A podcast that we started a couple weeks ago, and we're going to end up talking about that in the next couple weeks. So that's like my plug for the Q&A podcast. And I don't have time to cover it all today. But what I want us to see and notice here is that the principle is continued. Whatever you do, do it in the name of Christ. And here's Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. And in my mind, just sub-bosses, sub-organizations, institutions. Now let's go back to the graph. You don't have to pull it up because no one can read it. It's too small. But 
If we're working for the Lord, if you think about it, picture the, picture the graph in your mind. If we are working for the Lord, do we have a responsibility to act ethically in our workplace? Yes, absolutely. Do we have a responsibility to be humble in our workplace? Yes, absolutely. What about working for grace and peace? What about working for justice? What about using our gifts to glorify God at work? Yes, absolutely. There's no way you can read these passages from Colossians and say like, uh, well, whatever you do, that covers from like 6 p.m. until 8.30 when I get in my car to commute to work. That, that doesn't make any sense. So, the Barna Research Group calls you next year to redo this survey. So help me God. Our answers better be a little bit different. And if we can think differently about our work, uh, because we understand that God made us for it, and, and thus we should think about it differently, it brings up some logical follow-up questions that I want to spend the rest of my time on this morning. So number one, how do I know what I should do for work? There are lots of young people here this morning, and many of us are thinking, well, what should I do for a career? What, what, is, what, what should I spend my time doing? What do I want to spend a quarter of my life working on? And, and for some of us, maybe we're in careers, but it doesn't feel like the right fit. So how do I know? Well, God has gifted you with unique gifts, skills, abilities, strengths. He didn't make you like me, thank God. He didn't make you like your friends. He didn't make your friends like you. We are all fearfully and wonderfully and uniquely made. You absolutely are. And if we think about it, just think about your friends. One of my closest friends, Matt Deason. We are very different people. And there's certain gifts that Deason has that serve him really well. For example, Deason has this incredible knack for being able to just be present in the moment with people. I'm like a nervous wreck that I'm going to be late to the next thing. I'm always like glancing at the clock or glancing at my watch or like fighting the, in the inclination to glance at it. But Deason has this ability to just be present with people. And, and another thing is that he's really slow to speak and quick to listen. I, on the other hand, am very quick to like jump in. I have something to say. And that serves Deason really well in the line of work that he does and the stuff that he spends his time doing. So we each have these unique gifts. God made Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden to fill the earth, subdue it, to keep it, to work it. God made you and he puts you here for something too. Our human ancestors, they were made to continue the creative work that God started, and we were made for the same thing. God uniquely gifts us with strengths, with skills, with abilities. What about software engineers? What about teachers? What about accountants? What about managers? What about raising our kids and focusing on that full-time? Yes, amen. And if you don't believe me and you believe God only gifts those like professional religious people, pastors, teachers, evangelists, go read the book of Exodus and we'll read a passage together from Exodus 31. In Exodus 31, God has just given Moses these directions for how to build the tabernacle. And then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have appointed by name Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, understanding, and ability in all kinds of craftsmanship 
to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut gemstones for settings, and to carve wood so that he may be a master of every craft. The same thing actually happens in Exodus 28 and Exodus 35. So evidently, God can give gifts of artistry, of metalwork, of woodworking, of jewelry making, craftsmanship. God gives all sorts of gifts and strengths and abilities. So, what am I saying about vocation and calling? Is every single person called to a specific job and it's just a matter of discerning that? Here's where I fall on this. And I've read a lot and prayed and and I've had personal experiences with this and I'll share. I don't think that every single person gets this definitive sense from God of what they should be doing. This definitive sense of calling. I don't think that when reading through scripture, I don't think there's any reason to believe that everyone between the ages of 16 and 19 at some point in time should have this experience where they find out this is what I should spend my time doing. But do some people? Yeah, some people do. I, I honestly feel like I did. And I was so convinced of that that I actually like staked my whole life on it. Two, two parts of that, one was moving to Spokane to be a part of this church plant. The other was to do military chaplaincy. And the way that that worked was well, I was doing research online and I was thinking about joining the military as a translator. And I'm like, ah, my mom will kill me if I join the military, but I'll look at it anyways. And I found this thing called chaplaincy. I'm like, okay, that sounds interesting. And no lie, for about the period of three or four days, I could not think of anything else. It was just, it was just the center of my focus for three or four days. And I had this abiding sense that God was calling me to that. But that didn't mean I just ran forward and didn't talk to anyone about it. I, I started asking people. I said, hey, you guys know me and you kind of know what chaplains do. Do you think I'd be a good fit? Do, do you think this would line up with my gifts and strengths and skills and abilities? And then I met with chaplains and, and I heard them tell stories of what it was like. And then I evaluated myself and said, well, do I have the right stuff for it? Does it line up with who God has made me to be? And that was the process. It was the sense of calling. And then there was the sense that, well, I need to tell people about it and get feedback on it. I need to evaluate it. And then I went for it. But does God give that sense of calling to every single person? Absolutely not. So what do we do? There's a quote that I find extremely helpful when it comes to this. And some of you may have heard this before. The place where your talent meets the world's needs is the job God has in mind for you. Show of hands, anyone heard this before? Okay. The place where your talent meets the world's needs is the job God has in mind for you. So there's like this intersection between who God has made you to be and then there's this intersection of the the needs that are in the world. And where that thing meets, God's gifted you and I think there's a ton of freedom Obviously, this quote isn't infallible truth, but I like it. It points us in the right direction. Because absent this clear sense of calling, I do think we have this freedom that can be a beautiful vocation for us. If God has gifted you to love kindergartners and you want to teach kindergartners, teach kindergarten. If God has made you with this strong passion to raise kids, to teach them at home, 
to be with them with as much contact as possible? Amen, do that. Spend your time doing that. If God's gifted you with specific artistic abilities and you can glorify God and there's a need for that, amen, go for it. Don't be disobedient to God. So if the thing that, that you want to do is something that is totally wrong, like you don't get to be a professional drug dealer because you feel like God wants you to make a bunch of money, that would violate what God has called everyone to in holiness in Scripture. But if your talent and gift and strength and passion and ability, if they line up with the world's needs and absent another sense of clear calling, go for it and do it for the glory of God. Now, what about, what about right now? Some of you are thinking, I'm in this transition period between where I can be where I have this sense of calling, but I'm doing something right now. Often that's like a retail job. I've been there. What, what if I can't do what I am called to do? What if I can't do that yet? What should I do in the meantime? Does it mean I just get to treat this job just like everyone else and kind of blow it off? Or do I really have to work that terrible shift again and close down and work for the manager who's overpaid and work for a boss who doesn't care? Do I really, what, how am I supposed to do that? Work hard. Work ethically. Work for justice and goodness. Take care of your customers. Take care of your coworkers. Take care of your boss. Don't pass around the office, office gossip. Don't cut corners so that you can make more commission because uh, I know it's not right, but I'll have a little bit more paycheck at the end of the month. Work as Jesus would if he had the late, late shift and he was closing up shop. Work as if Jesus would if he were in your position and he had the, to be the one getting up at 3.30 in the morning to go and open up. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Matt, how do I do that? Well, I'm not a model employee and, and, and I have not arrived, so don't misunderstand me. But I've worked in a lot of contexts and since we moved to Spokane, I haven't worked for a church. I've worked in various other capacities. I've worked for this company called Pitney Bowes I sold office supplies. I basically lived on the TV show The Office. I, I have coached football. I have refereed lacrosse. I've been in the National Guard, and now I work at Whitworth, and then I'm in the process of transitioning to be a public school teacher. So I, I get it. I've been there. I know it's not easy. I know it's not always enjoyable. What I do on good days, when I get in my car and drive to work, is I pray a really simple prayer. God, use me as a blessing today. Whoever I might come in contact with, use me as a blessing. Whether that's prospective students or my boss or my peers, whoever I might come into contact with, God, use me as a blessing. And then what I do at work is I constantly evaluate everything I do. Am I doing the right thing? When I worked for Pitney Bowes, I, the, it was really hard for me because there was access to a whole lot of money. If, if I sold a bunch of stuff, I made a lot of money. There was a lot of incentive to it. And there was even more incentive if I would just cut some corners, if I would just cheat just a little bit, I could make a lot more money. And if I would just tell my customers half-truths, then I could make more money. If I would just upcharge on the things that I know they don't need, or if I would just put it in the box and then send it to them, and I know they'd get charged, and I know they'd never find out, but I would make more money. I was tempted to that every single day. And I hated 
that I was enticed towards that. I hated that I was even pulled towards that. And, and part of that, as I reflect back, even on my good days, I can think of times where, well, if Jesus was selling ink, like I was, he probably would have done it differently than I did. It's kind of funny to think about Jesus sitting at the table and just... But that's what we should do. And as I, as I think back, I mean, those are the reasons why I had to leave that job. And now I'm in a different setting, but I have all sorts of different temptations and different sorts of interactions that I have to be question, question myself on. Am I being honest? Am I sharing things with prospective students or am I covering things up? It, am I awarding? I award financial aid, which is the worst part of my job because I constantly have to evaluate, am I doing it equitably? Am I doing it based on whether I like this person, whether I, I just got along with them well? It's the worst part of my job. I have to constantly evaluate, am I doing these things under the understanding that I'm working for God and not for my boss, David, and not for Whitworth as an institution, but I'm working for God? Do I work hard to glorify the God who gave me the skills to do it, or do I just slide by? Daily, hourly, I have to ask myself these questions because at the end of the day, it's not Whitworth or Pitney Bowes or Spokane Public Schools that I work for. I'm working for the Lord and I'm working in his name. As I end this morning, I really do want to leave it there because if you can get on board with this idea that God made us for work, it's not a necessary evil, but it's something that we're actually made for and it's actually something like worship and obedience, then we should think about it differently. And if you think about that graph, we should think about things differently. We should utilize the gifts, skills, and abilities that God has gifted us. And we should do things the right way, not just the easy way. And we should see our work as a dimension of our spirituality, just like Adam and Eve. Just like God gave Adam and Eve work to do, God has given us work to do. He's made you and I and gave us something to do. Some things are really obvious, some things take a little bit more intuition on, and some things we have to be really attentive to listen to. But God has made us for work. And as we work, we should remember this passage from Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, many of us uh, come tired and maybe a bit burnt out on our jobs or burnt out on our responsibilities from day to day, whether or not we're getting paid to do them or not. And we need, we need to be refreshed. Uh, many of us need to be refocused. Many of us need confidence that you have made us for something just as um, we've gathered together this morning, I have this sense that um, there's some of us here who, who really don't believe that, uh, who don't believe that God made you for something, that you really do have a purpose, that you really do have something that God has laid in front of you. And I think the encouragement this morning is just that God, God has. He absolutely has. It's an affirmation that God has made you with specific, unique gifts, skills, abilities, strengths. And he did it on purpose, 
It wasn't an accident. So Lord, as we gather now to your table, as we receive the bread and the cup, God, seal in our hearts confidence of who you've made us to be, what you have done for us in and through Christ. And God, motivate us to be the types of people who work for you in everything that we do, in your name. Amen.